0: My, I want you know, okay, wonderful, thank you. Well, um, good evening, dearest MMFers, I don't know if you call yourselves that anymore, but <laughs> um, that's, that's what I used to refer to you, to this congregation as. Um, it's my joy and my great pleasure to be with all of you, all the way live and direct from a place that some people will call Elkhart, Indiana. I greet you as a resident on lands that still belong to the Potawatomi and Miami peoples. On this first Sunday after the National Day of Mythmaking and Masking of History, I acknowledge the truth of the 1838 Trail of Death when um, Indiana Militia removed 859 members of the Potawatomi Nation under the threat of violence from their land. The people of all ages and genders and uh, stations walked to what is now called Eastern Kansas, losing loved ones on the way and in the years immediately following. Um, The dreaded journey, actually, if Wikipedia is correct, um, went from September 4th, 1838 and lasted until November 4th, 4th, 1838. So that is not that far off from um, the day that some call Thanksgiving. So with that... um, When I usually ring a singing bowl across the interwebs, it works okay, so I invite us into silence and the ringing of the singing bowl. I greet you all as someone who was once a member of Manhattan Mennonite Fellowship over a decade ago. Um, I feel very grateful to God um, for the people who, some of whom are still in the congregation who shaped me, who loves me, who made room for gifts in me, um, who had long conversations with me, who even blessed me in a marriage that Despite its ending, was transforming and defining for my life. I am on the life path I am as the Intercultural Competence and Undoing Racism Coordinator at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary here in Elkhart. I am on that path precisely because of the years that God allowed me to grow and experience life in this faith community. I feel grateful to know that the congregation is still in this world, is still drawing new faces and new leaders, that you all are still bearing your own distinct witness, especially in a post-COVID world that has revealed the depth of segregation and separation that really has long existed in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities of worship and our workplaces, but maybe was hidden to us um, or less threatening to our lives together before the pandemic. Today, I speak to you about a topic that, for those who know me from my past as the radical agitator activist and anarchist that I was and still am. Um, It's a topic that and a theme changes a patient work that might seem strange coming from my lips. Let me assure you before I start speaking that that energy, that radical spirit, though it has matured and seasoned over time, is still there. Nikisha can still be pretty feisty underneath the warm administrator identity I also carry in my daily existence. I still get caught up in community organizing efforts. I still have run-ins with the authorities, say, at council meetings. I still get frustrated when obvious changes take too long and people circle and circle and circle and circle around solutions toward justice that are actually quite within reach. And yet this radical anarchist energy um, has also become seasoned and strategic and discerning. The rebel with a cause has found deeper levels of empathy even, And more than that, I have discovered a richer, thicker, personal intimacy with the God of the cosmos that makes it possible to love not only myself and realize my own need for salvation and healing and grace, but it has also stirred in me an endearing hope for God's future, a deeper trust in God's movement in the earth, and even a strong sense that my enemy. Even my enemy can be redeemed into another way of being. My papers are confused. That brings me to the text that I have selected today. The story of the so-called, quote, rich young ruler is one that if you're steeped in traditional Mennonite criticisms of wealth and power and or anarchist critiques of the same can immediately conjure up strong sentiments. Rich by itself might be a trigger. Ruler itself might be a trigger by itself might be a trigger. But when you put them together and attach to them the idea of youth, which may as well be a synonym for unwise, we've got a recipe for a lot of negative judgments by the title of this passage alone or this section alone, long before we've even gotten into the text. Or at least that's the way I used to read it in the past. Here, a man comes to Jesus to find out if he's on the right path to eternal life. Now, I'm not sure where I learned to be suspicious of his motives from the beginning, where I learned to lump him in with the other religious authorities seeking to trap God in Jesus. But I remember I used to sneer at his wealth. I didn't believe he was sincere. And boy, oh boy, when he gets... God and Christ's answer and walks away, supposedly unwilling to do what has been advised. I definitely used him as a sign of what's wrong with quote, all those people. Yeah. My papers are everywhere. Any <laughs> advice? i used to feel proud that i was not and would never become the rich man and by extension that i was all ready to follow jesus in a way that this man couldn't this is also the attitude i discovered in the believer's bible commentary reflection on this passage, which asserted that, quote, this incident is about the seductive power of wealth to hold people captive. And Timothy Gettert, who writes the commentary, he says, quote, he is not willing to change masters and invest all he has for God's kingdom. As a result, he walks away with his earthly wealth and a heavy heart. He could have followed Jesus. He could have entered God's kingdom with the promise of a hundredfold return on his investment, but he did not, end quote. As I read this commentary, it is kind of scathing. There's, there's a hint, at least as I interpret it, of disdain. And it's rooted in assumptions that I don't see as necessary when one is actually looking at the actual text. For one thing, the title of the section is the rich young ruler, but at least in Mark's rendering of the account, what we know by the end is only that the man has many possessions, quote. Now we're on Zoom, but I feel curious, maybe people could put in the chat, by a show of hands or in the chat, how many of us in here could admit to, quote, having many possessions. I know I can. And I wonder how many of us would at the same time consider ourselves rich. What if Jesus is talking to someone far more ordinary than the monarchs and the Elon Musk's that come to mind when we hear, quote, rich young ruler, Perhaps he's talking to someone far more relatable, somebody like me, somebody like us. Another assumption that this commentator, and I think that a lot of people who read this text make, is that just because he walks away grieved, that that is his choice, that that's his final decision. That simply being grieved alone is a sign that he's not willing to change, that it's a done deal. But I invite us to have an exercise here where maybe we can all close our eyes. I can only see myself on the screen, so I'm going to trust that um, you all will close your eyes where you're at. And I want you to imagine God and Jesus coming to you And you asking the very sincere question, what must I do to have eternal life? And you're able to sort of demonstrate that you're a good person. You're keeping the commandments. You're doing what it is that you're supposed to do. And God and Jesus looks at you with love which I think is so important and so often missed that Jesus looks on this person with love and asks you to give away everything. The table that your grandfather carved the wedding ring that the person you love put on your hand, the painting that somebody gave to you, the extra clothes that you really, really like to wear. What is your honest response to this request? Does it feel light and joyful right away? I think that I would walk away grieved too. Or at the very least might start bargaining. Um, Maybe I don't need eternal life, maybe long life is enough, thank you very much. I invite us to open our eyes and really, yes, sit with that feeling. I started thinking about this text in relationship to my work as an intercultural competence and undoing racism and undoing oppression wherever I can. um, Person. Because in relationship to this text, and I have to credit my mom for this because we were reading the book, um, The Trouble I've Seen by Drew Hart um, and reading white fragility together. And my mom, who is not a theologian, <laughs> but is so awesome, she made the analogy, and this is not a quote: that perhaps giving up white privilege is a lot like being asked to give up all one's possessions. And maybe this is why it feels so hard. And maybe this is why it's so difficult for people to do. What I'm trying to say is that The work of justice doing is not only about affecting some change outside there that does not require deep change in in us. That a revolution on the inside, a fundamental uprooting and redefinition of narratives, of our identities, of the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and others is also needed. A reimagining life is required. And this also comes with real losses. Real losses of comfort, real losses of status, sometimes real losses of material things. There is a real loss of what we fundamentally believed and are so completely used to and what we've been deeply ingrained to see as normal. So for example, I feel curious and people don't have to respond, what was the face of Jesus in our imagination? Was God in Jesus a white man? Perhaps. There will be lots of grieving to get through in this transition. If we really want to get through the eye of the needle, if we really want to get on the other side, And I don't think that we can underestimate that. In my presentations, I often liken the work that I do to space travel. I am inviting people to a planet where there's no gravity, where the logics that we're used to don't apply and nothing works the same. And part of what I ask myself as an educator, as somebody who accompanies individuals and groups on this journey, what is the spaceship I would have to build to get this group from one planet to another? There is nothing quick about space travel or spaceship building. It takes more than a training. It takes more than a book study. It takes more than, than, sadly, people being killed on our television screens in brutal ways. It takes more than a few conversations. It takes more than debates with statistics being bandied about at each other. And it certainly takes more than angrying, which is a verb that I have created to describe what i see a lot of angering in our facebook posts and on social media instead it takes accompaniment which is what i call what i do for example my longest client is a is a camp and we've been working at this for 4 years for 4 years most of the work that i do takes several months It takes multiple interventions and hours-long discussions and supporting people and groups as they try things and run into turbulence and come back again and we re-strategize. It takes stalls and restarts. In short, it takes some measure of patience, but that patience is grounded very deeply in faith that, yes, it is the case that many of us can indeed change because God. The truth is we have no idea what the man with many possessions with access to privilege and power chooses to do. We write him off as done when really a seed may have been planted and a decision may yet come. I personally have started to say that I can't do this work if I don't believe that people can actually change. There really is not a point. And so I believe that people can actually be saved, saved from themselves, saved from these systems, saved from illusions of supremacy, saved into new life, saved onto God's holy mountain where all beings of every species, human and other, find peace. And that I can only do my part in that process and do it well. How, uh, sorry, Jesus looked at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he, he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nikisha, for that word in due season. Let's just take a moment and hold this in our hearts in silent reflection for maybe a minute, up to a minute. Amen and amen. Thank you for ministering to us this evening with such a poignant word, couched in scripture and seasoned with experience. Thank you for sharing with us. We now come to the portion uh, where we tithe, where we give an offering. And I'll pray a blessing. I'll put the link on the website uh, or on the chat section. ManhattanMennonite.org slash give many ways to give. They're all there. And I will pray for us and pray for this offering. Let us pray. Holy one, we thank you that we might live from your abundance. Oh God, that you meet our needs and the needs that we have. You seek to meet them, oh God. And we just avail ourselves to your power and your purpose this evening. We thank you that we're able to give even a portion out of that abundance, um, under this ministry, under this church family, oh God, so that needs might be met. We pray a blessing upon this offering. We pray that we might be living offerings poured out for you daily, um, emptying ourselves of ourselves, being filled with your fullness and your desire for peace and justice and compassion and love in this world. Fill us, oh God, that we even overflow into this world. We commit this offering to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to intros and announcements. I think we all know each other. So going into announcements next Sunday, um, I believe it's December 1st or 3rd. Oh, yes. Thank you.